Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. Very, very rarely in any industry do we have an opportunity to get the inside information about how decisions are made and how policy is formed from one of the largest companies and most well-known in our space. And not only that, but the CEO of that company is one of the most important crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever you want to say, one of the most important OGs in our space. Allow me to and excitedly present a live episode today with the CEO of Kraken and a good friend of mine, Jesse Powell. I traveled to San Francisco a few weeks ago and did this episode live on stage in front of thousands of people. The first ever live untold stories from SF Blockchain Week. And it was an amazing, amazing talk, but we were cut off after 30 minutes and people booed. So immediately after the show, Jesse and I ran to a studio, we got into the studio and we continued recording this episode. Enjoy. I'm so honored that Untold Stories is sponsored by eToro. eToro is the smartest crypto trading platform and one of the largest in the world with over a trillion dollars in trading volume per year. What I really love about eToro is that the CEO has been around the Bitcoin space since 2012, so they really, really put their money where their mouths are. US customers, myself included, we can trade the most popular crypto assets, in fact, almost all of the ones that you want to trade with low but transparent fees. So you actually know what you're paying for everything. And that's really, really, really important. So if you're not ready to trade yet, you can practice building your portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. So you can create this whole portfolio without trading with any real money to see how you'll do. And you can learn all the different ins and outs without using any real money yet. And then once you're comfortable, you can enter the market and start buying and selling crypto for real. Best of all, one of my favorite features is that you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders in the world, myself included. And we can talk trading, charts, and all things crypto. So listen, head on over to eToro.com. Links are in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. I want to thank and give credit to the first ever sponsor of Untold Stories, Scott Offer. Scott is a Bitcoin mining consultant, and I really want you guys to check out one of his coolest apps that's free to use. It's a Bitcoin mining profitability calculator that you can check it out before you get involved in mining, or if you just want to learn more about whether mining is profitable and how it works. The website is CryptoMining.Tools. That's CryptoMining.Tools. You can enter your estimated uptime and get more realistic profit projections. It includes really cool features like the impact of the Bitcoin block reward having, which is actually coming up extremely soon. Their API allows you to embed profitability calculators and other live data directly into your own website, all for free. Also, if you're wondering which miner is the most efficient or has the best chance of breaking even, you should try out their interactive hardware comparison chart. So it's a hardware comparison chart. So you can compare all different types of miners for all different coins and tokens. And it's interactive. So you can play around with it. It's by far the best tool if you have any questions about mining or if you want to learn more about mining. It's the best tool you can check it out. As a mining consultant, Scott helps you make data-backed business decisions. He will be involved in the process if you want to buy a miner, if you want to sell a miner, if you have miners and need to get into data centers. I mean, if you follow Scott on Twitter, even if you're not in the mining industry, you learn so much. I follow him. It's super cool. You can check it out on Twitter or Telegram at Offered Scott. That's O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. That's O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. Again, I want to give a special thanks to Scott. You were my first sponsor when the show was just launching. Thank you so much. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. 
Really, the show is powered by them, and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Hey guys, I'm Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where I dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how this crypto movement really came to be. I'm super excited that today, to do my first live recording, um, to have you here with me, Jesse Powell, the founder and CEO of Kraken. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. This is an honor. This is was such an awesome idea, and when they threw out like a bunch of names, I immediately said you, and I said we have to do this. And when we did our pre-call the other day, I feel like we got a lot of the good content out there, and so I wanna I wanna jump right into it. I think the most important question that people have on their minds when they first start using Kraken is why did you name the company after a legendary Norwegian sea monster? Yeah, I get this question a lot. Um, I always say that. Um, you know, I had the domain, and so it was easy. I, I you was, told me that years yeah. ago when you first launched the company. I was a domain hoarder back in the day. Uh, I guess I still am. Um, got a ton of crypto domains. But uh, Kraken was a domain that I bought back in like 2003 or something like that. And I thought, one day I'm going to do something really cool with this domain. And um, when the idea to launch an exchange came up, I just thought like, okay, now is the time to, to do this. Uh, the, the name has... Um, you know, it meta- works. It works. Yeah, really well. I mean, it's got all the hallmarks of a great, a great brand. You know, it's short, it's yeah. memorable, it's fun to say. A liquor company should make the brand. They should use it. What's that? A liquor company. A should liquor. Use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be a great name for a liquor company. I wonder why no one's done that. Yet. And they've, they've, have they ever called you to get the domain back? Um, no, people have tried to buy the domain often. Um, I don't know if it was ever them, but we also get support tickets for them too. People. What kind of support tickets does like a uh, what is it, rum? Yeah. What type of support tickets does a rum company get um, Zendesk? Yeah, I don't know. I, I bought your product and, you know, like I didn't get as drunk as I thought I was going to get. So, <laughs> so I mean, so tell me about like more about the founding of the company and, and why you decided to do it. Um, we think that the exchange market is saturated now, but it was still saturated back then. Um, we had this amazing exchange called Mt. Gox that was like super good and everyone loves it. They're still running nowadays. Um, no one got scammed by them, but, um, are we doing this interview in like 2012? <laughs> yeah. Um, you have a great story that, that I know you love to tell about kind of the early days of Mt. Gox. Um, it was during one of the first hacks that Mt. Gox went through. They went through multiple and I think it was like 2011. And so the site was down and you called up Mark Carpell as the CEO, and you were in Japan, and you offered to help. How did the rest, how's the rest of the story? Yeah, actually, I, I got a call from Roger, Roger okay. Beer, who was in Japan, uh, who just happened to live a few blocks away from their office. And um, we were both already into Bitcoin, you know, heavily in early 2011. And when Gox went down, Roger, we were both trading on Gox. Roger went over there to the office to find out what was going on and discovered that there were like two guys in the entire company, and one guy had just started the day before. Yeah. So it was just like Mark plus this brand new guy. And, um, you know, Roger was like, okay, we got to do something here. Um, you know, they were just getting massive support tickets. There were like 60,000 users. Uh, the whole thing was, you know, basically that was like 99% of the exchange volume at the time. Uh, so, you know, while they were offline, like merchants couldn't accept payments. Nobody knew what the price was. It was like a total disaster for the industry. So like Roger calls me and he's like, hey, you want to come out to Japan and like help fix this. Uh, so I was on the next plane and spent, you know, a week and a half out there helping them with all kinds of stuff. And you probably learned from that, that experience saying one day I'm going to have a company in exchange and it's not going to be like this. And kind of you've, you've done that. Um, Kraken has become the name, you know, you've never had a loss of funds. You've never been hacked. Um, everyone loves the product, loves the brand. Um, so that, that really, that really is such a parallel from when you're, you know, I can imagine you like under Mark's chair, unplugging wires, plugging them back in, or trying to fix the code base, figure out what's, what's, wrong, with the, what's wrong with the issue. Now you're the CEO and you founded this huge company. Um, you have some unconventional thoughts on different things. For example, how a coin or a token gets named. 
Uh, what do you think should determine that? Yeah, this is always coming up anytime there's a, a contentious fork as to who should get the name, like Bitcoin especially. This was a big issue less than two years ago. It almost exploded the whole industry. Yeah, it was, it was an issue with Bitcoin Cash and it was an issue again with BSV. And actually a bunch of exchanges got sued by some people representing BSV uh, for basically not assigning the Bitcoin name to BSV. How could, I mean, what determines that? How do you guys decide, and I want to ask you more about that in a second, but I mean, take us like inside, if there was an animation, we'd see like the office of Kraken and the doors would open up and the camera would swoop inside. Give us like the untold stories and take us inside of how some of these decisions happen, how things get made. I mean, you have the, the future of the industry almost on your shoulders, not to put any pressure on you, but I mean, that's kind of what happens. So your decisions don't just affect your customers and you and I, but it affects millions of people around the world. How do you guys make those decisions? Yeah, it was, this was a tough decision with, um, with Bitcoin Cash and, and Bitcoin and also for Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. And um, fortunately, we've got a bunch of philosophers on the team who like, love to debate these kinds of things. And um, also oh, people within the company themselves are ideological within the, within the company. I have multiple oh. like philosophy PhDs who just love to debate this kind of stuff like all day long. So um, we have like great thinking around it. You know, I, I think there's like a very strong argument for Ethereum Classic, you know, being still called Ethereum, right? As the sort of the original chain that, that went on and what is now we, we refer to as Ethereum as being sort of like uh, a forked coin, you know? Um, Basically, we, we decided that we should look at something, uh, not even like, you know, the longest chain, um, not even like what is the original kind of vision, but more like the, um, you know, most kind of a, accumulated, um, like awareness, awareness. Like, okay. like social awareness. Like what do most people associate with this particular coin? And you know, like one of the analogies we looked to was, there's actually a, a Star Trek, old Star Trek The Next Generation episode. That's what we do, you, uh, yeah, of course. Yep, the Star Trek has all the answers. <laughs> or uh, Seinfeld. Seinfeld as well, yeah. Um, and we looked at, so there was an episode with, a, with um, I don't know if you guys are Star Trek fans, but uh, where- At a crypto conference? Will Riker basically gets like forked. He gets like trapped in, there's a copy of him trapped in a transporter and this copy eventually, it's supposed to be destroyed. So like in, in Star Trek, transporting isn't actually like transporting you. It's like creating a copy and destroying the old one, basically. Oh, okay, wow. But basically this like copy got trapped in the transporter and then it like emerged year, like 10 years later. And- um, Was the original there too? The original is still there, right? So who had like basically like 10 oh. more years of, of life than uh, the guy who was trapped in the, the transporter. So, um, you know, we kind of like looked at this as like a good analogy for this kind of thing. And most people had um, the guy who had like the most time in, you know, who basically had like the most social awareness yeah. was still treated as the, um, the Will Riker, like the original. Interesting. The guy who came out of the transporter 10 years later, everyone referred to him as Thomas Riker. I think Thomas was like the middle name. And it was basically like Will Riker got to keep the name because yeah. he basically had like the most social awareness. Yeah, there was a movie like that that did something similar where one guy went on a plane and the plane was like 10 years later but so there was two of them. It was the one who stayed who was not the original. The original was the one who came back who was considered the... So, I mean, how do you... So now you have Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, BSV, Bitcoin Private, Bitcoin Candy. You have all these like different ones. I guess... So it's, what you're saying is it's not really something that you can almost quantify. It has to be more of gut feeling, but then you have different, different companies or different people that make these different decisions. Um, and, but that's, that's consensus then. That's where one, enough companies, enough people, enough miners, enough developers, when everyone kind of agrees and there's somewhat of a consensus on one thing, then that's how we move forward. But it could be contentious. It could be fighting. And we saw that a few years ago. And I honestly, if you were to tell me like, that the solution would have resolved itself, we'd have where we are today, I would say no way. I thought it would be a lot worse than it actually ended up being. So it's really good. Um, we talked a little bit about listing coins. Everyone here knows that, you know, during that crazy ICO bubble, a lot of projects wanted to get listed on exchanges, a lot of coins, it's still a big thing. Coins listing on exchanges, if it's on Binance, it's amazing, if it's on this other exchange, it's not, that's a whole thing. You guys were very selective and careful about which projects you listed. Um, unlike some other exchanges that were listing every single day. 
what goes on internally in the token listing process? I think that's one of the most, that's the question that it's like, it's the most vague in the crypto world today. Yeah, so there's a committee of people that are stakeholders in various parts of the business from legal, compliance, engineering, uh, product, uh, support, who all kind of come together to, to review tokens and to decide you know, what should be the priority and, and whether to list something and uh, their considerations like, uh, you know, is it a security? Um, which geographies can we legally trade this in? Uh, do we think it's a scam? Do we think it has any longevity? Is it technically gonna be like high maintenance? You know, we're gonna have to dedicate like three full-time guys because it's like an alpha project that's constantly changing. Are these all metrics that you can write down or is this? A, yeah, it's pretty much like a, a scoring system and a, and a report that's developed for each coin. And, um, you know, so it's sort of basically if it, if it gets cleared, um, then it'll go into the queue to be released. And you have to deal with regulatory, you know, the, basically these yep. jurisdictions have to approve a coin or a token. Right. There's, yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of manpower, it seems like, that goes involved in that process. So yeah. you either have to be like one or the other. Um, you guys are still launching and putting out a lot of good features. You have uh, Kraken Pro Mobile that you just uh, launched. Um, you're still adding a lot of coins and tokens. But we we're talking earlier about staking. And I kind of thought of this question um, on the fly, as, as I do most of the time. Um, you know, and I think you would agree with me. Let's go back like to the years of 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, even, even 2015, 2016. Every, we got so many exchanges exit scammed, so many exchanges got hacked. And what would we say? Never leave your money on exchanges. Like it was just a thing. It was like in our brains. In fact, it happened so much that we were almost desensitized to it. Um, oh, another exchange, how much? Only 5 million? No problem. Not the end of the world. That happened last week. Easy. Um, not that that's a good thing. But now you were talking about launching staking. A lot of companies are launching, you know, interest rates, crypto loans. It seems like it's, but it's custodial. So it seems like the message of never keep your money on exchanges was what it was. But now it's like exchanges are saying, keep your money with us. Is that okay? Have we reached a point where security is good enough? I'm not talking about just about you. I'm talking about you know, your whole, you know, all your colleagues and all your competitors and sister companies or whatever in the space, do you think even the ones that you like are good enough that you would be comfortable leaving money there? Are we ready for that message of, hey, leave your money here, we'll offer staking, we'll offer lending, we'll offer interest rates and, and crazy numbers, like 10, 12% I'm seeing. Are we ready for that yet? Well, I think exchange security has come a long way. You know, we've got eight years of experience developing this. We've got a security team of 30 plus people. So, you know, I, I think we're maybe a little bit farther ahead than, you know, most others are in the space. But I would still say, you know, post your money with any exchange, you know, with, with risk. caution. Yeah, there's risk there. And, and it may not be, the counterparty risk there may not be worth what the return is. Um, for our clients, you know, while you have money staked, uh, you can still use it as collateral. Um, so you, basically there's, there's a capital efficiency kind of thing. Like if you're going to have money there anyway for trading, um, you don't want to be Make your money work for off. you. Yeah, you may want to just, you know, have it earn something for you. Of course, people can still interact with the blockchain themselves and stake their own coins. Um, it's still fairly complicated to do it. Most people aren't going to do that. But, you know, if you think you got $100 just sitting there, um, you feel like the counterparty risk is pretty but low. that's the thing now. It, it used to be you have $100, send it back to your ledger or tracer. Now it's, you have $100, keep it here, and you can earn a percentage on that. And that, that's okay. Like, I'm a big fan of having your money work for you. I, I want to do it. But I just get nervous of how vigilant we used to be versus how vigilant we are now. But I still think that self-regulation -regula is, is the best way forward. You're a big proponent of that. Um, I know that I remember, and we never talked about this, I remember like years ago, you were really pushing hard and you had staff for, for putting together a self-regulatory organization. It was an SRO. And I remember, and this was like, I never even heard of that. I was like, what is this concept of a self-regulatory authority? Uh, so you were really forward on that, I remember. But I guess maybe it didn't hit off at the time because people were, were just like, let us be left alone. But you were right, we should have. How did things move forward with that? Are you, are you pleased with the self-regulation that we have in the space today? Well, what we learned in the process of trying to do that is that it's, 
it's not going to be successful unless you really have government backing if, if, this, if okay. the organization has some teeth to it because people can just opt out and benefit from not complying, basically. Yeah, it's like the UN of, human rights, you know, thing. Venezuela can be in there if they want. Like, anyone can be in there. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's worked out very differently in Japan. It actually is a very tight connection with the government, and the government relies on the SRO heavily to advise and to, to make policy and to enforce. Uh, so um, it can work well, I think, in the right circumstances. But here we just didn't have the, the buy-in from the government. It's, it's really interesting how different government, and I know this, this, is, this is talked about so much, but how different jurisdictional shopping is and how that's gotten such a big thing now. Um, you have companies like, you read this company's moving from this jurisdiction to this jurisdiction. I'm like, but what does that mean they're moving? It's still, they're all still based in the same office in San Francisco somewhere or wherever they are. Um, so I mean, do you see like a common denominator in certain, in certain countries versus other countries, like other things that you can kind of tell? I know that in a lot of Asian countries in Japan, you talk about they're a lot more forward and willing to work with you. China, not so much, but even, I mean, this whole bull run that we've been having, everyone is saying, thank you, China. But then you have a lot of Western countries that are just very negative um, towards crypto and not willing to open up their ears. And on this show on Untold Stories, we've talked about, we've talked to politicians. I've had um, a vice minister, uh, a minister who's a, uh, Vice president, of, Vice president of his party in India. And he said, he's like, I love Bitcoin. I love crypto. But the problem is there are just some people, one or two guys that run the central bank and they're just like, no, I hate it. Well, you see stuff, I mean, in the United States, just these, these Libra hearings and just show that um, the guys in power really don't understand technology. They don't understand crypto. Yes, you know, so it's been, it's been very tough in the United States. I think that the, machine is just so big, the bureaucracy is so big, um, and uh, the incentives are not really aligned. Uh, but um, yeah, in other, in other smaller countries, even in, within the United States and in, in certain states like Wyoming, um, Wyoming has really taken the approach of um, Bitcoin and blockchain being like a, a business opportunity and an, an economic development opportunity for the state. And they've passed 13 bills which are wow. super, super pro crypto, super pro Bitcoin, pro developer, makes things very clear, provides excellent consumer protection, way better consumer protection than you get from uh, an entity in New York. Or There's still the that federal overhang though, that's the thing. This is still the problem in the US, right? There's not really any way to opt out of this US protection um, at the federal level other than moving yourself you know, into, to another country. I think this is something that'll work itself out. The market is efficient when we allow it to be. And so I think this will resolve itself. How, you know, where the U.S. fits in down the road, I hope there's a bigger presence. But however things, you know, fall. Um, when we come down here, there was a sign that said, Happy Birthday, Bitcoin 11 years. You, you saw it. Um, it's been 11 years since Satoshi wrote the, you know, came out with the white paper, October 31st, uh, Halloween, I... Um, I can't believe it's been, I thought it was only 10, but it's been, it's been this long time. Um, if you look at like a scale of, of the years and you look at, you know, fervent ideology, and I'm not talking about like fundamentalism, I mean just more like love and ideology for the space. Um, it's definitely gone down. Although like having been here today, having been um, at the conference in Vegas a few days ago and having run the show, I'm learning that people still do, are there for the love and they are there for the ideology. They just may not be the most vocal. Um, but I was talking to someone about this, we were debating, and he said how he thinks, and he, he, and he was at the first, um, I think it's Computer World, that conference, like, and actually that, the first Computer World conference that took place in 1994, 1984, took place in the same room as the first Bitcoin conference in San Jose in 2013. Um, so that, that was pretty crazy, I found that out. But he was saying how like ideology in, you know, the computer and internet world was a huge in the early days. And then when internet and computers became a thing, that tapered off. And there's not like people you meet that are like, oh my God, I love the internet. It's just a thing. We love the internet. Um, do you think that crypto needs that ideology anymore? Do you think like it's good to be like a little bit fringe? Or do you think, do you kind of wake up during the day and say, oh, like I miss those, those days when it was a little bit more about the love and, and, you know, ending the Fed and stuff like that? I think we still need that because we're not out of the woods yet. You know, there's still 
a lot of governments around the world who, who haven't made up their mind about crypto or who, who are kind of waking up to crypto. And you see like stuff with Libra is kind of being, I think like a wake up call uh, to some people in government that, you know, this could kind of um, get really big. And um, so I think we still need to, to hold to these ideals, right? We don't want to just create another PayPal 2.0 where everything is fully controlled. There's by some, some people that are okay with that like creating another Venmo or a PayPal 2.0, but that's not what we're here for. That's definitely not what I'm here for. I don't think it's what you're here for. You know, I think most people at Kraken are still believers in, in the mission, which is to bring crypto to the world, fully decentralized, you know, no, no permission to, to participate in the financial network. What type of questions do you ask on a job interview when you want to bring someone onto the team? I'm just curious. Like, yeah. I don't even have this question prepared. We actually have an ideological purity test. Okay. Wow, this is, Which, I want to hear, this is an untold story. Let's hear this. Uh, yeah, so I mean, we, we ask people uh, all sorts of questions, you know, like, what do you think about Bitcoin? What do you think about the government? What do you think about the Fed? Uh, <laughs> you know, how would you, um, if you were going to attack Bitcoin, how would you do it? Imagine oh. you're a government, how would you do it? Um, what type of answers do you get? Um, you know, it's, we get different answers. I mean, it's a, it's a really good question to test someone's understanding of Bitcoin and kind of like, you know, what the levers are. So it doesn't like, really matter like what their answer is. It's more of like if they could answer and intelligently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, some people might say, well, I would, if I was the government, I would just, I would ban every business from taking it. Or, you know, I would, I would, um, you know, put up a firewall around the country like China and block all the VIPs, you know, for nodes and stuff. I've heard a lot of ways that you could attack Bitcoin and shut down Bitcoin. And they, I always would be able to hear what the person was saying and then in my head come up with a way, a reason that wouldn't work. And then the other night, someone said to me a way that he would attack Bitcoin. I'm like, oh shit, that's actually really good. Well, don't say it. I don't remember what it was though. I don't remember. <laughs> I was trying to remember. Good. I was in Vegas. That's the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so um, there's definitely that and I love... I love how that's still there. You do get a few people who are a little bit burned out and that's okay. Um, I think the industry is moving forward. So we're like, uh, let's just pretend it's 10 years because 11 for the math. Um, where do you see us in 10 years from now? Are we still doing conferences? You think, are we, is it more of like, we're a thing now? What are we conferencing about? It'll be more conferences that may be focused on healthcare tracks or supply chain management or exchanges or industry, but it won't be like, Crypto is amazing. Let's just have a big meetup and everyone will talk about it type of thing. You think we'll be just still doing these? Uh, I, I think this will be like a core group of people who are still there. I don't think Bitcoin or crypto will have taken over the world in 10 years. That's a good thing, though. That means we have time to buy more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get in early. Yes. Still. Cracking. Uh, but I think, you know, eventually it's just going to become <laughs> like, a, you know, TCP IP or something, right? There's not like a conference for like, you know. I guess there should be a stuff. conference for TCIP. You could bring it back. <laughs> Do it next year. I don't know anything about it. I know that that's, you know, it operates the, the infrastructure of the internet, but, um, and it's the protocol. And it's, very, it's a very good analogy because it's, um, you know, the protocol that uh, where Bitcoin's going to be, I think, is that we're going to have this protocol that, that fundamentally um, changes um, how we do different things. So I guess the best answer that I've heard is we'll just be using it, but no one will really know or care that we're using it. And so that's where we'll be in 10 years. And I don't know if I like that answer because I like going to these events. They're fun. Yeah, I love these events. I, I still think it's not going to be totally buried by then. And, um, you know, I think some countries, they're only going to be able to use raw Bitcoin. You know, they're not going to have like, these second layer services because they may just be made explicitly illegal. All services. Yeah. As these services get bigger and more registered and better regulated and in more jurisdictions, I think that option of being able to shut all those down in one country won't be a thing for two reasons. There'll be much more, but also everyone will be, um, will be using Bitcoin. And for this purpose of this conversation, I'm using Bitcoin and crypto you know, uh, together because there are a lot of coins that could be heavily used later, privacy coins, whatever they are. Um, but this was another, another good, the last tidbit that someone told me the other day was that in his view, and he's very new to the scene, he's like, in my view, what I love about Bitcoin is that I know that if I 
if I own some today, in 30 years from now, it'll be the same. The fact that Bitcoin won't change is one of its best assets. And I'm saying to myself, I actually kind of agree with that. But at the same time, if we don't innovate and grow, will we lose out? And so that's definitely something that needs to be watched out over the next few years. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think Bitcoin necessarily needs to be all things to all people. I think it can, it can choose a use case and just be the best at that particular use case. I think the more it can do, the better. You know, it'd be great if it were both a, the best store of value and the best payment system. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's obviously a lot of competition to do these things. And it, it could be that the landscape changes completely 10 so, years from now. So pretend you're interviewing me right now, like ask me a Bitcoin ideological question. I want to see how I would answer. Give me the hardest one you guys got. Oh, man. Um, it's been a while since I've been administering these tests. But You should just jump uh, into job interviews for people and see what happens. Yeah. I'm stealth. Um, okay. Uh, so. Um, Hold on. I got to get my pen. <laughs> All right. Um, you can either hold dollars or hold Bitcoin. Which do you Only? Hold? Yeah. Forever? Forever. Yeah. I'm so honored that Untold Stories is sponsored by eToro. eToro is the smartest crypto trading platform and one of the largest in the world with over a trillion dollars in trading volume per year. What I really love about eToro is that the CEO has been around the Bitcoin space since 2012, so they really, really put their money where their mouths are. U.S. customers, myself included, we can trade the most popular crypto assets, in fact, almost all of the ones that you want to trade, with low but transparent fees. So you actually know what you're paying for everything. And that's really, really, really important. So if you're not ready to trade yet, you can practice building your portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. So you can create this whole portfolio without trading with any real money to see how you'll do. And you could learn all the different ins and outs without using any real money yet. And then once you're comfortable, you could enter the market and start buying and selling crypto for real. Best of all, one of my favorite features is that you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders in the world, myself included. And we can talk trading, charts, and all things crypto. So listen, head on over to eToro.com Links are in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. I'd like to thank my sponsor of Untold Stories, Scott Offord. Scott is a Bitcoin mining consultant and provides managed miner hosting services in Texas. If you need to get at least 25 megawatts of miners online in the next three months, Scott wants to talk with you right now. Contact him on Telegram or Twitter at O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. He's offering an all-in rate of 6.5 cents per kilowatt an hour. Wow, that's like super cheap. That's like electricity cost in the Arctic where things are automatically cooled because it's so cold. So he's offering 6.5 cents per kilowatt an hour without any CapEx required. Or if you commit to $170,000 per megawatt up front, he can get you a rate of 5 cents per kilowatt. Am I reading that right? 5 cents per kilowatt? That's unbelievable. Scott can get your first 25 megawatt hashing within 16 weeks from the date of signing. All the infrastructure, power lines, substations, water lines, and buildings are fully owned by the hosting company. By the end of March 2020, they will already have 150 megawatts online in Texas. This is such a super cool ad to record because my listeners are learning about mining now. Like this is this is really interesting. I, I didn't even know half this half this stuff before I met Scott and he started sponsoring the show. So make sure you check out Scott on Telegram and Twitter at O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. And Scott, thank you again for being my first ever Untold Story sponsor. I hope you guys enjoyed that live take with Jesse Powell from San Francisco that I did a few weeks ago. Immediately following that interview, we jumped into the studio. You know, in the live interview, we talked about things like how actually tokens are listed, exchange security, capital efficiency, self-regulation, and government support for crypto in places like Japan. Going forward in the next talk, we're going to talk about how Jesse believes that more blockchain companies will move to countries with better pro-crypto legislation, adding that Kraken is, and you ready for this, set to acquire more companies in this space to stay ahead of the competition. So enjoy this talk with Jesse Powell, CEO of Kraken, and enjoy the stories.
Jesse, in, in 2013, um, I don't know if you remember this, we were, we were talking, um, and you were, you, you put together this idea, uh, and you called it data. And this was the digital asset transfer authority. Your idea was basically to put together kind of like a self regulatory body, basically all the companies, and this is 2013. I mean, there were like seven companies in a space total. Um, your idea was to basically start, you know, as, as an industry, you know, working together and you foresaw regulation. You foresaw that this was going to happen. You foresaw bit license. And, um, over time there were other ventures that you, um, went on to, to found in the self-regulatory, um, kind of sphere. And you've been very on top of, Talking to regulators, talking to governments. We we spoke about this briefly a few weeks ago. You know, you're very critical of of certain type of regulations. You're very critical of the bit license in New York, um, but you're not critical about regulation when it it seems like to me, just from your readings and your, from your writings, it seems like it's not regulation that you know itself that you have a problem with. It's burdensome and Basically, regulations that don't make any sense cause disruption and don't allow for innovation. Do you think that down the road we could be governed by some sort of self-regulatory body or we're just not there yet? Uh, I do think that it's possible at some point. Uh, I think that, you know, without some teeth to it, you know, without the ability to enforce um it it becomes meaningless, you know, which is kind of what we saw with with the first attempt there with data, which was that you know a group of companies got together to to basically follow some rules, which we thought would alleviate a lot of the the government's concerns and and you know allow them to take a more um, careful approach to things and, and to, to be more considerate of their approach. And this and was very forward thinking. Moves that, During this year, I mean, I was the compliance the officer doing yeah. KYC in my basement. This wasn't the day of compliance officers. This wasn't, you know, <laughs> this wasn't, you know, this basically we we're under the radar at, at this point. Um, if the, the, the FinCEN, you know, clear the FinCEN clarity that first came mm-hmm. out, I don't think that happened until maybe March. So this was very, very, very early on. What was some of the what was some of some of the reception that you got from that? Yeah. Uh, what type of rules, like you were saying, there were you know rules that maybe all the companies that would follow, and who were some of the companies at the time? I know you, we talked, you approached us uh, at Bit Instant, but what type of other companies and people were you talking to back then that were interested in doing this? Um, it was largely other exchanges and wallets. It was just like Mt. Um, Gox. You know, I yeah. don't even remember everyone who was involved back then. Probably a bunch of companies that, yeah, Gox, a bunch of companies that aren't around anymore, probably. Um, no, uh, I'm sure Bitstamp was in there, you know, probably Coinbase, probably, um, you know, the, the major players that were around back then. And, um, you know, I think those guys who I mentioned, I think saw the value in it, but you know, there's always this, um, this issue of like the people who don't participate having an advantage, right? So if, if you all agree, if members of the group all agree, we're not going to allow 10,000 X margin trading. Like we just think that's like too risky. A bunch of people are going to get blown up and then the regulator is going to, you know, come after us. You know, if we agree on that, um, but there's someone else out there who offers that. And that's actually like, you know, what consumers want, um, you know, then, then they will have an advantage. So, you know, you, you get to this like point where it's not everyone's like on the same playing field and, um, you start to guess about like what consumers actually care about. And, um, it gets very difficult to manage. And, uh, you know, I think we, we had more success in Japan where we actually had the support of the government and, um, you know, the government is very working very closely with the, uh, the self-regulatory organization there. And they actually, uh, look to the self-regulatory organization to, to do a lot of research for them, to, 
to make proposals for things which will become like official law. So it's on a level playing field. Like, do you feel like in Japan, when you're talking to regulators, do you feel like you're speaking to someone who potentially could be your colleague or someone that you work with? Not instead of the, I feel like more here, it's the regulators you're almost looking up at. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. I mean, in Japan, it's, it's, a much more a relationship of peers. I mean, the, the regulator sees the the self-regulatory organization as sort of an expert, and it's it's made up of um, other crypto companies, right? Like a, a bunch of crypto companies and leaders from those companies who really understand the space very well, and um, and you know know what the actual risks are versus like the imagined risks, and um, so the the regulator relies heavily on the input of the SRO there. Uh, and the SRO has a lot of um, influence in, you know, what what happens. And you were one, you at, were one of the, the founders like of um, the official laws, the Japan made, Authority or, of Digital you know, Assets. Is even, that the right self-regulatory body, you know, that works with the government? Right. So why? What I don't understand is while you were arguably yeah. the first, mm-hmm. um, there That's were right. and still are many, 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 many. You know, groups of people that are trying to, you know, do this self-regulatory. There are a lot of good. Um, I don't know if you saw last week. I forget what it's called, but a bunch of wallets. I think like fifteen wallets came out and said we want to have some sort of. This is not self-regulatory, but more, you know, interoperability between all the different wallets. So um, they're try. It's been tried, but why? You know, besides for the teeth argument, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. I just don't understand why it it won't work. Why? How come FINRA worked, but why can't we do that for for crypto? Now it does, but when it started, it didn't. It was just well, like FINRA a self regulatory body. Authority. Um, yeah. 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 Um, you know, I don't actually know what the history was there, like how how they came to have that power. Um, you know, what what we see with a lot of these regulations is that it it becomes. Uh, a moat for the existing players, and you know, to some extent, the existing players are no, incentivized it's to, to all extent, Jesse. Uh, it's not to some extent to make the regulation That's literally more their difficult. Job. Uh, the and payments roundtable invented the money transmitter laws here. For what reason? To control their own monopoly. PayPal, Western Union, MoneyGram. Yeah. Completely, completely, exact. Uh, completely, exactly. exactly what happened. Um, you mentioned Japan. I had a great business idea the other day, actually. I want to run by you. Um, mm. So you know how there are a lot of hedge funds that are offering to buy people's Mt. Right. Gox claims? My friend has a, a claim. It's like 100 Bitcoin. And the idea is mm-hmm. instead of selling it or he doesn't mind waiting, some of these distributed finance companies should offer the ability to borrow against your claim. That That would be a great idea. That would be... Yeah, they potentially could do that. Tokenize, yeah, or tokenize Mount Gox claims. claims. Do you think that could work? Sim- similar to like how Bitfinex did it? Sure. I wonder why no one has yeah. tried it before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just a lot of risk, Probably very low reward. I don't know if you remember, in 2016, also, you, did you, know, a, you did an AMA on Reddit. You're one of the only people yeah. uh, to ever do this, like especially being the CEO of an exchange. Um, they asked you some great questions, and I want to re- – but these questions were written for 2016, almost five years ago. Um, I want to ask you some of these same questions because they were really great. Yeah. I mean, reading your answers, I was I was cracking up. Like, for example – the story yeah. how your email got included on the Ashley Madison list. Can, can you tell our sto- that story uh, to our listeners? Yeah. Well, I don't actually know how it got included on the yeah. list. You know, it, it. I have like a very generic e- email uh, that I've had. You know, for like more than ten years, probably like fifteen plus years. No, and, of course. Um, who knows? You know, it's just I constantly get signed up for all kinds of things. I'm always getting like, you know, confirmation emails from all sorts of services uh, that I never signed up for. So uh, I must have been something like that. Uh, but um, yeah, I guess I guess I was on the list when when they got hacked, and um, 
you know, someone sent me the request mm-hmm. like for, uh, for Bitcoin, you know, to not be exposed or whatever. Uh, but I had my autoresponder on at the time, oh, which that's was great. like 21, uh, or which was yourself? asking people to pay me Bitcoin to, to read their email. Has anyone paid you? Um, I did it myself. Yeah, actually this was before 21. Um, uh, someone actually did pay me yeah, with a system. Yeah. The system was, is an open source, um, project. It's called elephant grass. You can find it on GitHub. And basically it's just like a Google app script that you run on your Gmail account and it would get a, uh, a Bitcoin address from blockchain.info and, uh, auto reply to the person if they weren't on your whitelist, asking them to send Bitcoin there. And if it, if it found Bitcoin was received, then it would. That's um, a great. That's a great program. And I mean, business models have been written about th- this. Th- you th- wrote in the loss. story how your your girlfriend at the time was going to create the boyfriend improvement proposal called segregated penis, and then you said, "I'm going to buy some more hashing power." <laughs> um, in 2008, there in 2016, there were there were. Um, oh. <laughs> Um, in 2016, they asked you, where do you see Bitcoin in 2018? Do you remember your answer? Yeah, you did actually. You did. And that Um, was a bull market where you went to like $20,000. So you're, yeah, this was a great question actually. Um, and I know your answer and I actually want to know how, how it played out in your mind. Um, the question was, what would Kraken's position be if there was a sustained hard fork? Now, we know what happened a few months later, a few years later. Um, in your mind, did that play out the way mm-hmm. you would have liked it to have played out with the whole Bitcoin cash, Bitcoin, and then you had, you know, BSV or, you know, Craig's vision or whatever? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's been like a million Bitcoin forks. There's Bitcoin gold, Bitcoin diamond you know, like 20 others. Um, uh, no, you know, I don't, I don't like to see the community split up like that. Um, you know, especially, uh, the guys who are on both sides of that, you know, I'm friends with with a lot of guys on both sides. So, um, you know, that's not great. I, I don't think it's, it's great to divide the community. Of course, I think that, you know, the, one of the great things about Bitcoin is people are free to, to fork it and, do whatever they want and, you know, prove the their idea win. in the market and um, may the best you, coin win. Um, you know, on, on that note, yeah. may the best coin win. You ever see those, you ever see those old, um, uh, screenshots of coin market cap and in people's speeches or on TV, they always mention how the coins that were, um, around back then don't exist anymore. And there was like name coin, peer coin, and a bunch of them. It was like a list of 10 of them. And what I've been trying to do mm-hmm. is try to figure out like what happened to a lot of those coins. Yeah. And so I was talking to someone about PureCoin. When I was doing my research, I found out that you actually Kraken had a ver- had a had a uh, a valvement in in Namecoin in terms of uh, how a major flaw was found. Uh, do you remember that? This was 2013, and how that played out. Yeah. Yeah, basically, we discovered a flaw in the Namecoin protocol, uh, which was that effectively, like, you could steal anyone else's name and, and, like, that you couldn't do it was only enforced in the client. So, like, if you just use a different client or you use the command line, like, you could just steal other people's names. And, um, you know, that's just kind of like a classic, like, programming mistake where, like, you know, you just... this. This is done in, in video games all the time, by the way. It's like the, the video game developer just like, you know, codes up their their user interface for the game um, and uh, assumes that people will only ever interact with the back end, like through the, the official user interface. And then people end up building alternative interfaces to, to basically like hack the game. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we reported that to Namecoin and, and they fixed it. Fortunately, I, I don't think any it was damage a great was concept. done. Um, you know, but Namecoin was like one of those early projects, which I personally thought had, a, yeah, a great concept, had a ton of potential. You know, I think suffered from one just being super early. ENS has to, the same problem. Um, like Ethereum mining services, the same, know, like, same issue. I, I don't think they a had, bunch of pe- Everyone owns Charlie, Charlie yeah, Shrem, Shrem, yeah. Charlie, C Shrem, everyone. I don't even, I can't even get anything with the letter C in it because everyone squats on it already. 
Yeah, was there like a reverse auction thing with that, or an auction for like letters it was just, of it, domains for, or certain? From names? my perspective, or was it just it a was a free for all? I'm sure the Ethereum Foundation kept on to like cracking, you know, um, uh, Microsoft and some of the bigger names. But I mean, um, someone took McAfee, someone took Andreas. Like people took people in crypto's names, and, and then they started using it. And I think that's what um, that was one of the issue. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesse, you you guys are are have grown. You guys are growing year after yeah. year after year. Um, you know, I see people are talking about Kraken all the time and what you guys are up to. Even today, you announced um, you you know you announced your partnership with with uh, um, your ability within Kraken for Silvergate Bank to have the ability to do real time transactions, and um, uh, that's amazing. Did you ever did you ever think about when New York pissed you off and it seems like you took it, you took it very personally uh, about what happened with New York hashtag get over it. But um, did you ever think about leaving the U S totally? Mm-hmm. I know at one point you were mm-hmm. very pushing hard in the EU. And then when you sat, when you took over that market, I think you came back to the U S but did you ever think about just closing off, you know, doors in the United States altogether? Yeah, for sure. I mean, U.S. is is at least eighty percent of is our that compliance true? costs. You know, twenty percent of the business. So, um, there's yeah, absolutely. There's there's a huge imbalance there, and um, and you know, I think you've you've seen this with some other exchanges as well. Like Poloniex has has left the U.S. Um, you know, Binance has broken off the U.S. into its own entity. There are all sorts of things that you can do everywhere else in the world that you can't do in the United States. And there may not even be any license you can get in the United States to do it. Even if you wanted to go like fully legit, there just may not be a path, you know, like for example, for trading security, it doesn't tokens, exist yet, not but in other places in the world, if it didn't, in if it didn't exist, they'd let you sandbox, so, they let you work, they let you figure it out. Uh, it, does, it doesn't work that way here, I guess. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Unfortunately, the law is, you know, was written decades ago um, and hasn't been updated. It, it doesn't, you know, it, it's kind of shocking that, you know, 10 years have gone by and legislators and regulators have had all of this time to react and to get up to speed and to, to figure out something that works for the changing world. And they still haven't gotten around to it. So, you know, at a minimum, I think, sandboxing, you know, could be done. There, there can be some sort of de minimis exemption. Uh, there are ways around this, but, you know, that there just is no legal way to do something which many people uh, demand to do is really a shame. And what it does is forces people to, to basically go offshore to do this anyway. You know, it's not like it's not happening. It's just, it's just going to happen offshore instead. And U.S. people are going to set up foreign entities to do it. And, um, you know, I think the U.S. is the the average consumer is increasingly going to be um, harmed by by this lack of. Um, what is what is the modernism the civil in, servant in the or the, uh, middle management in the, you know the, if you work for the government and you're not like a low level person but you're not a high level person you're just you know mid level and you work for the government and various regulatory bodies you probably meet these people all the time. Um, what are their feelings about, you know, not, not the decision makers, but kind of people that are mm-hmm. cogs in the machine? What are their views about this whole space? It's kind of mixed, you know, and in, in it, I would say that on, on the U.S., it's, it's much more so the attitude like, this is the law and we are here to enforce the law. You know, this not is a regulator law. and, and the, yeah. the regulator's job is to enforce the law. You know, they're, they're not in the position of making the law. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, when you talk to, to the guys in New York, they are, you know, the, the bit license is the Bible. Um, we are hundred percent behind it. You know, we don't think there's anything wrong with it. We think that, you know, if you, if you want to serve New York clients, you know, you'll, you'll bend over and take it. That's their attitude. Um, the, the other, other countries, you know, could be entirely different. You know, they, they could be saying, you know, we, uh, 
they might explicitly say, well, yeah, we, we know what the law says, but we think there's enough gray area here. We're definitely not going to enforce on this for now. Um, you know, we're pushing the, the, the legislators to change the law. Um, you know, there are some legislators in the United States that, that really get it and are working to, to do something about it. But, you know, it's not, um, they're, they're large powers to be that, you know, have a vested interest in, in the status quo. And I think, you know, we've got to overcome that. And I think, you know, one of the ways to do that is just to get enough people into crypto that it, it becomes like an untenable position to, to kind of block this from moving forward. And, um, you know, I think you just need the people to demand what they want from their representatives. Uh, because right now, you know, the people talking to them are, are the big banks and the lobbyists and, you know, the people who, who work for. Just you know, you've been in the space um, a very long really time. For, like, the How do you stay consumer. motivated? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't I mean to crypto, interrupt you. I, I know that. Tons of potential like, for you're the right. world. Crypto's amazing. Um, Bitcoin's yeah. amazing. I love it, dude. Like yeah. it's our baby. Yeah. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I'll admit to you. Um, yeah. obviously this is just between us and then everyone else who, who's listening to the show that, and you, you tell, you can ask my wife who's sitting in the next room. <laughs> there are times when I feel burnout. Uh, I know a lot of people do it and they never come back. Um, but I'm just Charlie. I run the podcast and I get to go to the beach at the end of the day. You're running a company, a huge global company. Um, what do you do to relax? How do you feel good? How do you maintain good sleep and, and stay grounded? Yeah, just personally, um, try to work out at least three times a week, um, ideally four or five times a week. Uh, always try to get eight hours of sleep, at least. Um, I've been we've been doing that lately, too. just doing the uh, the all meat diet, and that's been really good. I tell uh, people that we're that so we're beef collectors now because when they open water. our freezer, they see, um, oh man, we yeah. have. Wagyu from Japan. We got, you know, even even like Whole Foods has great steaks. We we just load up our freezer and um, we we do the same thing. And I think yeah. that was one of the. Um, we also don't eat until like twelve, like noon every day, um, and then we stop eating by like yeah, like six or seven. Um, but that's been mm-hmm. such an amazing yeah, like, thing uh, for us. And so, what's the future of the company? Do you yeah. see yourself? Uh, growing to thousands of, of team members? Do you see do you see yourself as the one who's going to be acquiring up all the other ones? Or do you see yourself being acquired by like a financial service? Do you want to be acquired? <laughs> um, we, I, I don't personally have any desire to be acquired at this point. You know, I would, many of us in the company, including myself, are still in it for the mission. And, you know, I think if we were, if we were going to be acquired, we would have to feel like whoever the acquirer was, was really going to push the crypto agenda hard, you know, like in a way that, that we maybe couldn't do it on our own. You know, like you, you have some like superpower that's like super, super influential in government. And, you know, if they were to have a Bitcoin exchange under them, they would be lobbying for, for crypto, you know, across the board, um, you know, that, that would be like maybe a reason to do it, but, um, you know, at least right now, I think we feel like we are in a position of influence. Um, you know, we, I think we have a, a real chance to make a difference and the longer we can go, I think without, you know, just kind of folding into the traditional system, um, the better off things will be going into the future. So, um, you know, I think we'll probably do more acquiring. Um, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to be in a position to do that. You know, we, we love just taking on other, other crypto team members. You know, they're unfortunately like, it's just so early. A lot of, a lot of businesses that people try that, you know, could be great businesses one day, um, you know, maybe just aren't, aren't there today just because there's not enough adoption. Um, and, you know, to the extent we can, we love to keep, keep people in the industry and, you know, to get people a, a soft landing and, and it's your love for more, crypto. More it's your team members love for so crypto. It's everything you just said. It's, um, it's the fact that, 
the mission still motivates you. The fact that that motivates you and your team and other people, I think that's why, um, amongst many, many other reasons, um, that's why a lot of people who have been in the space very early on and still care about the mission and ideology, and, and there's a lot of us, will purposely use Kraken because they want to support they want to support that mission. Um, do you see that? Do you get customer support emails? Or do you meet people in the street who tell you that? Because I would. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, that does happen. I hear that a lot. And, you know, that's that's one of the, the big things that keeps me going. There's not a lot of you left, that, that appreciate the, our the, approach. The big companies are now and, run by these seasoned CEOs, um, and they're great. They're yeah. running our, we need infrastructure. We need adults in the room, but it's also nice to have a little bit of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, we're trying to, to hold the, uh, the ideological mission, um, you know, still at the heart of, of what we do and to, to sort of be that counterbalance, you know, when, when, Maybe other players yeah, come out exactly. and, you know, kiss the ring of, of every regulator out there, you know, and, and beg for more regulation um, because they want to appear to be, uh, you know, compliant or whatever. Um, you know, we think that there's got to be somebody on the other side of that that says, wait a minute, like, yeah, maybe maybe that would all that that would improve the moat that we have. But like, what about, you know, the you know, the rest of the industry or what about the future of this technology or what about the consumer? You know, what does this mean for the consumer's choice? Uh, so, you know, that may not be in our own best financial interest, but, um, you know, it's not, it's not about that for us. It's about, you know, of course there are many terrible things we could do to increase the value of our stock, but, uh, you know, that would be, I think at the expense of, of everyone in the world. Uh, so, you know, we're not just here to enrich our share, our shareholders. We are here to, to push crypto forward and to, um, to, you know, enrich all crypto holders and, and people of the world. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think someone's got to be there to, to have the alternative view, you know, which is not just recreating, um, the ancient financial be- system 2.0. That yeah, should be the name basically of the book, just the another group of four guys 2. who are making up all the rules. I know Brett King, he <laughs> writes these books every year called like Breaking Banks. Great guy, runs a podcast and he's up to like number seven now. It's like, yeah, I just released Breaking Banks number yeah. seven. It's like, how many times are you, are you going to be, are you going to be writing these books about, you know, how, how the future of the banking system uh, goes? Jesse, thank you so much. Um, you know, keeping that vision alive. Uh, you're the CEO of Kraken. I don't even really need to do much of an intro because everyone knows you and everyone knows Kraken already. I can't wait to release this show. Uh, doing it live with you in California was super fun, and I can't wait to to see you again. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. Likewise, you, you've been such an awesome, uh, awesome part of of the space and space in the development of of crypto. And it's really great that you've got this podcast now where you are are bringing out these, these yeah. really cool stories that you know people have never never heard of 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 the old days you know it's 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 kind of really cool that you know we didn't really have something like this for um for the internet um in but, real time know, we have sort of like this, the stories the don't end it keeps documented it keeps going and uh, really awesome and yeah. i'm so i guess i'm so surprised sometimes when people tell me i didn't know about this or i didn't know about that there, there are people who don't, e- Jesse, there are people who don't even know about like Mt. Gox. There are people that don't even, I mean, forget like some of the really early stuff. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. But so my, I feel like my job is to do this and have fun and doing it in an en- entertaining way um, and allow people to to come and tell, and tell their stories. Uh, it's really a lot of fun and really great and everyone loves it. So again, uh, thank you for, thanks for doing it. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power.